Hey everybody, Jamie Risky here on the lighter side of baseball. You know when you hear that music, you know it's time for on the lighter side of baseball. Wherever you get your podcasts, Apple, iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify. Anyway, today we're coming to you from a dreary, cold Chicago, Illinois, where unfortunately the Tampa Bay Rays have had to play six games through with the White Sox, through with the Cubs, in uh, really bad bad, bad elements. It's cold, windy, and uh, supposed to rain tonight. So maybe the race game will be called off. We don't know, but I can guarantee you that I'm not going to be there. No, because it's not too balmy. But speaking of balmy, today we are going to be joined for part of the podcast by a former major leaguer. Mike Diaz played with the Cubs for a cup of coffee and then on to the Phillies where he then was traded to the Pirates and to the White Sox. Had four good years in the major leagues, went to Japan to finish his career, uh, and uh, was with the Latte Marines. That's uh, how I pronounce it, Latte Coffee. Roki Suzuki, you might have uh, heard of him, or Suzaki, or Sumaki, some kind of Aki, pitched 17 perfect innings. He pitched a perfect game, and then he came back and reeled off eight more innings. He almost had the perfect Johnny Vandermeer back-to-back no-hitters, but throw in a little one-in-your-face. Perfect game, but not to be. Uh, somehow, he lost the perfect game in inning 18. That's the way it goes. So anyway, in a few minutes, we're going to get Mike on the phone from Hawaii, pull him away from his chores as a hitting instructor. Uh, I think it's going to top out at around 80 degrees and sunny in Maui today. Boy, wouldn't we all like to beat Mahalo in Hawaii so I'm going to uh, turn on a little music here for just a few minutes, and we're going to uh, connect with Mike Diaz. And when we're back, uh, we'll be talking with uh, uh, Mr. Diaz, a 30th round draft choice who stuck with it all the way through the minor leagues, had a brief stint with the Cubs. They traded him to Philly. He then was traded to Pittsburgh, where he had a couple good years. And I was teammates with none other than Barry Bonds and Bobby Bonilla, one of my former clients, Johnny Cangelosi, on and on and on. And so uh, uh, we're looking forward to uh, having a chat with Mike here this morning. And uh, as soon as he gets out of bed and gets ready to go, it's like five hours earlier there. So one o'clock here, eight o'clock there. No problem. And uh, when we come back, we hopefully, uh, knock on plastic, we'll have the technological capabilities to hook up with uh, Mr. Diaz. So stay tuned, and uh, we will be back in a flash. So just hold on. Don't do anything. Don't go to the golf course. We'll uh, be back with Mike Diaz in just a minute. Folks, we're back on the lighter side of baseball, and as promised, we are joined. You know, it's a dreary day in Chicago, but it's a beautiful day in Maui. And I'll say mahalo to my good friend and guest we met 20 minutes ago, Mike Diaz, formerly <laughs> with a lot of major league teams and finished his career in Japan. And he's got an opinion on a couple of different things we might discuss. Mike, how are you doing? Doing well, Jamie. Thanks for having me. In fact, uh, it feels like I've known you. Uh, a lot of people talk out here in Maui. Uh, they like to talk at us, specifically old ball players. When you get a player or you get a, 
a personality or someone who loves the game as yourself, who's been there, done that, you get to talk with us. So I appreciate people like yourself. And I'll tell you what, anytime I get the opportunity to talk with somebody about the game of baseball, it's surely an honor. So thanks for having me. Well, absolutely. And we'll do it again. But there are a couple things that, you know, I think my listeners ought to to know, and that is, and and things that interest me too. And uh, number one, how you get your initial love for the game. That's always been important to the podcast. I always, whether it's a dad, a mom, a relative, there's always, almost with no exception, somebody or some people that, you know, all the guys that Jackie Robinson's image was able to get into the game. And you were in the minor leagues five years. So you didn't stick around just because you were excited about 500 bucks a month. So tell me, <laughs> you're in the world, you know, I negotiated a lot of those contracts. Nobody uh, remembers well. those $500 a month. Days. That was uh, totally accurate. In fact, after your signing bonus, I was a 30th round pick. Uh, I was basically a football player back in the day from the Bay Area. So being from the San Francisco Bay Area, shit, we had a transistor radio and a black and white TV. Uh, my father is a uh, Puerto Rican, African-American uh, kid. So my, my dad's 75% Puerto Rican, 25% African-American. Mom's a little uh, Apache Indian, four foot 11. Dad was five foot five. So don't ask me how I came out six two. <laughs> and then all of a sudden I decided to go ahead and continue eating and not working out. So my playing days were at about 240, went up to about 340. Long story short, got out of the Bay Area, left in 78, and haven't returned since. But all that being said, the love of the game, really, we couldn't understand, like most people, you know, Dominican, Puerto Rico. And that's where the family's from, basically, from Puerto Rico. I lived out there eight years also and learned to see the game, uh, learned to understand the game. My father was a Clemente fan. Uh, he was born out there in a little town called Marovis in Puerto Rico, and the family hailed from uh, Atare, which was basically a little suburb of San Juan. So we were out in Puerto Rico all the time, and one of my good buddies growing up was uh, Carmelo Martinez and Henry Cotto, and we were out in Ponce, we were out in Arecibo, we were out in Caguas, but we made our home right there by old San Juan, and we did our things, and all of a sudden the draft came out, I get drafted, I didn't get drafted until like the fourth day. I was already committed to play football. I had a number of offers to play football, and that's all I knew. Uh, We didn't have social media, as you know. Uh, I don't get to talk to too many people your age, so that's super cool. (laughs) Mike, how did you find out you got drafted? Because, like, even in the first-round guys back then, really until the scout called and said, hey, you know, we drafted you. How in the world did you find out? Let me throw you some names that only you'll remember, and hopefully somebody on your cast or podcast here remembers. The number one pick, 1978, Buddy Biancolana. So Buddy Biancolana was – He was a good guy. I knew him in Kansas City pretty well. Yeah, he in fact, he lives out in Nebraska right now, but he was a Bay Area boy, went to Redwood High School. His dad knew how to market. Uh, We played on the California All-Star team together. Um, I was a third baseman, shortstop pitcher kind of first base, but mostly pitcher shortstop type guy and uh, never put on a catcher's gear in my life. Didn't even know what a catcher's glove or an outfielder's glove felt like. But uh, most of the time, the coach would put you where, hey, get ready to pitch. You're going to pitch half the time, what have you. But uh, started playing 
varsity baseball as a freshman. I went to a high school called St. Ignatius in the city and then uh, transferred to my alma mater called Terranova High School in uh, Pacifica. So again, when you're out there in these remote rural areas, which Pacifica is, it's not the city of San Francisco, but literally I'm five minutes from San Francisco and I grew up in San Francisco. That's where I did everything. I went to my grade school there, high school there, and decided to come back home to Terranova. So all of a sudden, as you brought up in the draft, the phone, shoot, we had the rotary phone, you know, where you go ahead and get it and put your finger in and you wrote it and boom, boom, boom. Yeah. <laughs> so phone, my mom, because I like talking to my wife so much, she put a lock on it. So I couldn't pick it up and I couldn't dial. So I had no idea, nor did I even consider of getting drafted because I had already signed to go play football. So that being said, I was saying, okay, you know, I love the game of baseball. I love the game of basketball. I love the game of football. And you just play the sports. So as things went on, uh, in between, I would surf. I mean, I lived on the beach and you're out there surfing. Uh, you're out on the coast riding horses. I'm doing what everybody else does, what a 17, 18-year-old kid does. So here's a name that you're going to go ahead and remember. Bob Kennedy, Jr. Sure. So Bob Kennedy was, at the time, the general manager of the Houston Astros, which I knew nothing of. Then a guy by the name of Bob Kennedy Jr., his son, who was the older brother of Terry Kennedy, all of a sudden shows up out of nowhere. And he says, hey, I'm a scout with the Chicago Cubs. We got this, we got that. And I don't even know who the Chicago Cubs are. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. I thought people did back then. <laughs> yeah, I'm living in the Bay Area. I'm following Willie Mays. And I'm following Dick Dietz. I'm following, uh, God, Jimmy Ray Hart. Uh, Chris Spire. Um, yeah. yeah, it was all. You know, I used to go out and hang out in right field out Candlestick Park. So Candlestick Park was like a second home because our school was only about, I'd say, you know, 20 minutes away out in the Sunset District. That all being said, I never, ever really felt that I loved the game of baseball. To me, it was like, hey, it's entertainment. It's cool to watch. These guys are okay. But I never got close enough. So I didn't know any ball players per se firsthand that I could talk to until I met a guy by the name of Marty Coyle. So Marty Coyle was a minor league player who played of all teams for the giants. Uh, he became my coach. And as he became my coach, um, I had already had enough credits to graduate to high school in 1977. So I did nothing but play baseball from probably 11 AM till probably 3 PM before the team would even come out. And this guy, Marty Coyle would tell me, you got the ability to play. Major League Baseball. Yeah, sure. Fine. <laughs> Whatever. I'm a football player. <laughs> you know, at the time in high school, I'm 6'2", 230 pounds. I'm bigger than most of my linemen. Yeah. And I could run like and I could run like a deer. I mean, I was pretty fast back then. Who wasn't? You know, I always tell people, turn the page. <laughs> you know, it happened. I mean, we got older. So that being said, I just went through the motions and everything. And I was playing strikeout with my high school manager. And it got really cool just to play games. We'd go out and shoot hoops. We'd throw the football. He just became a mentor to me. I had another mentor by the name of Bob Lottie who went to Notre Dame. And uh, he was a linebacker, lineman, defensive end type guy. And I learned so much from this guy, Bob Lottie. In fact, my parents allowed me to spend a couple of weeks with them. And he taught me the way of how to be an athlete, how to care about others, how to be a good teammate, how to go ahead and do the finer things in regards to being off the field, to prepare yourself, the mental side of the game. Uh, the physical side was easy. I mean, when you're 6'2", 220, 230, who cares? You can do what you want to do. 
and if you can run. But what you didn't realize out in the real world, like now, because it's on social media, everybody's that big. Sure. So I really didn't have any any clue what was going on. So here's why I get to make a long story longer. I finally get drafted. We're sitting in there. Bob Kennedy Jr. shows up with a guy by the name of Rich Morales. Rich Morales sure. caught behind, or excuse me, he was a shortstop backup for the White Sox or San Diego. Uh, I think he was with St. Louis too. I don't know. But he was a local boy out of Pacific California. And uh, this guy shows up and this is on the draft day, like the fourth or fifth day when I get drafted. And I don't know this guy, but he's a local guy. And he says, kid, you're making a big mistake. And I said, what's that? And he goes, I heard you're going to go play football. And he says, absolutely. He goes, well, I've been watching you over at Terranova. And you're this, you're that. And I go, okay, great. You know, I'm just a punk kid. You know, I don't know anything. So he's sitting there with Bob Kennedy Jr. He says, I'll tell you what, let's go back over to the field. I'm going to throw you some batting practice. And let, uh, you know, Bob Kennedy here go ahead and, and watch you. So, hey, I'll go ahead. No big deal. So, me, him, and Bob Kennedy and a couple guys, they go out and shag, and he throws me. And back in the day, I used to like to switch hit a little bit, hit balls left hand, hit right. Got this feel of tearing over. And I'm hitting balls like I, yeah, I'm driving balls. I'm hitting them all over the place. So, about an hour later, we come back. It was all over. I don't see the guy again. Next day comes up. He shows back up at my house with. Morales and he says hey what's it going to take to sign you I, said, ah, I really don't want to I got a college offer I want to go play college football you know I'm ready to go and uh, he says well Rich Morales thinks you can make it and after watching you I think you can make it what do you want and my dad throws out a stupid number and my dad goes uh, hey give him $25,000 I'm looking at my dad going, Fuck, we haven't even talked what are you talking about and I go, my college offer is probably worth 200000 Dad. Are you kidding me? You know, 50000 a year, all that. And he looks at me and he says, uh, well, what do you want? I said, dude, I got a college full paid deal. In fact, I knew at that time, I'm not going to go ahead and stick to this, but I had a lunchtime job where I'd ring the bell and I'd get paid at the time 10 bucks an hour. Yeah. I'm like, are you kidding me, man? This is great. I got to show up. I got to ring the bell. And I'm on my way and I get paid for eight hours. That's my college gig. Not only that, you know, back in the 70s, people were getting transportation. There was a lot of stuff going on that wasn't above board. Yeah. A lot of gray area of people got you. So my college coach, you ready for this? Was the guy who was with the New York Giants. Um, he was the manager, excuse me, the head coach. He had just passed. What's his name? Uh, Jim Fassel. So Fassel that morning was spending the night in his car on Banyan Way in Pacifica, California to make sure that I went to his uh, college, okay? Yeah. So long story short, I says, hey, we got to wait. Let's see what these guys come up with. So my dad tells me to wait. Long story short, again, the guy comes in and says, what do you want? Dad says, I want money. And I want his college paid for. Whoa, there's a new one says, well, I'll get back to you. He goes outside, goes down because there was no you know, cell phones. He gets a pay phone, goes down to Safeway, makes his call back to Chicago, comes back, and he says, all right, here's the stipulation. You give up your incentives. We'll pay for eight semesters of college anywhere you want to go. Eight semesters. I don't care if you want to go to Harvard, you go to Yale, but it's paid for. Oh, now I'm, I'm, I'm sitting back and wait. You're telling me. A 30th round pick, go anywhere I want, 
if I sign this contract, you're regardless of what happens in baseball. And you're going to give me this cash. Hmm. Okay. Let's do it. What they so get? What Did you so I sign. So now I, yeah, so I sign and Bob Kennedy Jr. sends me off to Bradenton, Florida in 1978. The guy who picks me up at the airport, this is where the love of, <coughs> excuse me, this is where the love of baseball starts. Two guys are there. First guy's this old man. Looks like he's about 90 years old. I didn't know his name from Adam. Happened to be Freddie Martin. How am I going to do research on Freddie Martin? There was no internet. <laughs> I had no idea. Then there's this guy on a motorcycle. Glasses, kind of baldish hair, stocky little guy. Happened to be a guy by the name of Randy Hundley. <laughs> okay, so these two guys are picking me up, and I'm like, all right, this is great. I get to the facility in Bradenton, Florida, at uh, Pirate City. That's where we stayed at. And it's like a Holiday Inn-type, uh, old-time Holiday Inn right. Express with all the fields out there. You've been out there, I'm sure. Yeah. And they've upgraded it since. All that being said, I'm getting to know these guys. I'm listening to them talk. I'm going, wow, you guys are just like a bunch of kids. You're just like me. The stories from the airport to the field to get setting me up, phenomenal. I'm going, I'm going to like this. It gets, it gets worse. I get there. My roommate is a 16-year-old punk kid by the name of Mel Hall. So Mel Hall, 16 years old, and they put me in him. I'm 19 years old, and I'm going, oh, my God, we got issues. I mean, this is going to be crazy because this guy, he don't even know where he's at. He didn't graduate high school. So then all these people, we had a bunch of college guys. We had a guy named Kirby from uh, Santa Clara. So now, now I'm going to go ahead and shut the story down, and you can ask me some more questions. <laughs> we get there. First day, first catcher gets hurt. Second catcher gets hurt. Five third basemen, six first basemen, like nine shortstops. I didn't even look at the outfield. So catchers are all hurt. Hundley goes, can anybody catch here? Go, I can't because I knew there was one catcher left. So I can catch. He goes, oh, good. You're catching this afternoon. Never had a glove. Never put on the gear. Jamie, as God is my witness, I never put on the catcher's gear. Awesome. That day, a guy by the name of Kirby, I told you, from Santa Clara, he'll remember this. We threw a no-hitter. Catching the ball, boom, I just get behind the plate, asking questions, using the other catcher's glove, catch a no-hitter. Boom, man, this is easy. This positional, no, no-brainer. But as you know, in rookie ball, you play every day. Yeah. So I get behind the next day, and uh, I think I had somewhere in the area of about 10 pass balls, probably about, it was like a track meet, like about 12 guys stole on me. <laughs> I hurt my thumb. It was the most miserable thing I've ever been through. So Hundley was laughing, saying, I knew it was going to happen. He says, you just ran into a guy that's probably going to end up in AAA before the end of the year because he's a college guy. I didn't know. Yeah. So as it went on, I ended up going to instructional leagues. I ended up going to Puerto Rico. And that's where the game of baseball started for me. When I went to Puerto Rico, I meet with the Cruz brothers, um, with Carmelo Martinez and Ricardo, um, with a bunch of people who are Puerto Rican who taught me the game. And uh, as I was over there, uh, they took me under their wing, last name being Diaz. Uh, I'm a native Puerto Rican, uh, stayed at my dad's house. And uh, at that point in time, I had my wife with me and I learned to go ahead, become a student of the game. It was like a chess match for me. And I learned to love the game in 1978. That's the first time.
So you don't get to the major leagues until I think you had a cup of coffee in 1983 with the Cubs. Is that right? accurate? So by my count, it's about five years playing minor league ball. And I negotiated with Dave Dombrowski gazillion contracts for $750, $800, blah, 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 blah. As you well know, yeah. how, how in the world eh, did you stick it out? Because every year they draft prospects. And every year, if you're not a prospect, you kind of drop. And every year you go to minor league spring training and there's 200 studs in your uniform doing jumping jacks and you're going holy crap how am i going to hang in there and you did how why let me tell you what i went to big league spring training so they take the prospects and they bring them up to big league camp for uh february the 19th or february the 15th when we reported pitchers and catchers so being a catcher they send all their prospects to instructional league the year before. So I was in instructional league with some major leaguers. Uh, I was with all major leaguers when I was in Puerto Rico. So I got invited. I'm in big league camp and I'm in big league camp in 1979 and I'm catching, you know, uh, Smith Holtzman, uh, oh God, Suter. Uh, one of my very, very fond memories is catching Fergie Jenkins, you know, in B games and stuff. And, all those guys were the most wonderful men I've ever met in my life. They passed the game down to me. So the veterans who I had, Rick Ruschel, um, I mean, going down the line, I had Buckner, I had Say, I had Boa. Well, I had some great, great, great guys. Who basically, you sit and you be seen and not heard. That was the big saying. Shut your mouth, be seen, not heard, and we're going to teach you how to get there. So I learned to become a major leaguer at a very, very young age in a very young time in my career, which, uh, man, if any of those guys ever listen to your podcast, all I can do is I can say thank you because you you formed my life. Uh, the game from veterans taught the right way. Um, can't say enough. Sit there and Lee Smith's taking me out to lunch, you know. Uh, Bill Buckner's buying a beer for me. You know, Larry Boa's going off like he did when he was a manager and telling me how to act, you know. In fact, he even named me Jackie Jr., so Jack Clark, we used to think I looked like Jack Clark and uh, used to go with, uh, with uh, Morgan. So Joe Morgan, I used to do arm wrestling championships in Vegas, and Joe Morgan was there and says, you're exactly Jack Clark. I said, all right, I don't even know who Jack Clark is. You know, but he was over there playing with the Giants, and we took a picture, and it's funny. He was here, and I was behind him. They took the picture behind Jack. You couldn't see me. Jack was so big. And he was cut like a cobra. It was amazing. But all these things were happening to me because they were introducing me to their peers, to their teammates. And frankly, <laughs> it was amazing what I learned just by shutting up and listening. And I try to tell all the people I teach, I said, if you're speaking, you're not learning. And if you're learning, you're going to pick the best that's going to suit you. And sooner or later, there's going to be a day, just like I knew when I was going to get called the big leagues. The question is, are you going to be ready? So all that information, physically, mentally, the stuff they taught me vision-wise, everything that I had, I said, man, I'm going to glean everything I can from these guys because they're doing what I want to do and go and put it together in the way I can do it. So coming up through those guys, uh, it was just uh, amazing the information I got. Nowadays, I can't go ahead and, uh, and talk about 
how tough it is because people come into the game now yelling, screaming, you know, being on social media and it's not being seen and they don't want to listen to anybody. Yeah. <clears throat> and it's not everybody, but you talk about guys that are old, so old school. I always get accused. Oh, coach Mike, you're old school. Uh, the game hasn't changed in hundred years. It's the same thing, except you got a computer now and you got this computer and you want to say that understands what I understand when I'm on the field. Eh, I don't agree. So we agree to disagree. So playing uh, all the levels and learning to understand. Did, I you, got by the of, did you ever think about quitting? And I mean, A ball, double A ball, triple A ball. You know what? I had the most, uh, I can't even go ahead and tell you how blessed I was in regards to managers. You remember Bob Hartsfield? I had Bob Hartsfield, the Hartsfield brothers. Roy was the manager over Toronto. So Bob, his brother, was my coach in A-ball. He taught me so much about the game, so much about catching. Um, I just had at every level the best managers, the best coaches. Um, I mean, who in the heck would think a 30th round pick from Pacifica, California, you know, who never caught, who's going to go ahead and catch in the big leagues? You know, that's yeah. that's crazy. And in my draft, a guy by the name of Bill Hayes was the number one pick out of Indiana State. And Bill Hayes got a cup of coffee, and that was it. He was the number one pick. I was the 30th round pick. I go to the big leagues. He does it. Yeah. Well, so you played six or seven games with the Cubs. I don't know if that was at Wrigley or on the road. Both. So Dallas Green becomes a GM, comes over from Philadelphia, and makes a trade to get some of his boys back to Chicago, like Sarge, Matthews. Yep. And a good friend of the show, Bobby Dernier, Great guy. He's in the trade for you. Yeah. Robert, it was Bobby Denier who I knew of. And uh, also Sarge, Gary Matthews, and another guy by the name of Porphy Altamirano. Oh. I don't know if anybody remember that name. Oh. He was a relief pitcher. So long story short, it was me and Sue Campbell. So uh, Campbell was the big right-handed reliever they want. I had faced Al Holland in 83, and I had this big at bat against them. And it's probably about a 10, 12 pitch at bat. I'm swinging out of my butt, falling down, <laughs> trying to go ahead and hit. And so we've never seen anybody swing up Al Holland. I go, oh, who, who cares? He throws 95, big deal. Let's go. And uh, at that point in time, I guess I ended up hitting a double and a couple of base hits. My first big league hit was off a of league tunnel, off of Pittsburgh, good friend of mine. And uh, I made enough of an impression for the guy to go ahead and say, we want Diaz. So I get there. And uh, it was the last day of spring training. Uh, I thought I'd made the team. Dallas calls me in and says, uh, we're trading you. This is the last day of spring training. I had already set up in Chicago. I'm ready to go. It's going to be a backup catcher to Jody Davis, backup third baseman, talking to Zimmer, talking to all the coaches, the whole bit. Right. And all of a sudden, uh, when I came up, Charlie Fox was the coach. I think they had just got rid of Lee Ilya. So all that being said, I don't think Lee Ilya really liked me. Because he ended up over Philadelphia, oh, and uh, he ended up becoming the AAA coach, and I ended up getting traded because of him. But that's here nor there. He, yeah, you know, I always tell people it works that way. Not everybody's, yeah, not everybody's going to like you. Yeah. And one man's nightmare is another man's treasure. No, you, know, you just no, don't, you just don't know. Before we started, you were talking about Al Dark. Al Dark, a good friend of mine, couldn't stand him. Thought he was a very. Uh, not a nice guy and, and not very yep. the minorities. 
and yet you know other people love them uh jack yeah just all sorts of those contrasts but you go to philadelphia and that again you didn't give up or get discouraged apparently because you stuck with it until you made it to pittsburgh right yeah the catcher the catcher when i was over there at the big league level was bo diaz yeah and uh my nickname is Rambo. So I was nicknamed Rambo and uh, people would call me Bo Diaz. Well, I happened to go ahead and meet a guy, AAA. His name was Darren Dalton. So Dutch became one of my best friends. So Darren Dalton, uh, call him Bubba, call him Dutch. And he just came up from Reading where they won like 130 games, the AA team and had him, Steve Jeltz. They had Francisco Melendez. Uh, they had some guys who could play some ball that you could see were going to be big league players. That all being said, we play that triple A deal out in uh, uh, Portland, Oregon. One of the best slogans in all of minor league ball was Beaver Fever, snatch it. So I was sitting here going, you got to be kidding me. This is on a T-shirt. It's a best-selling T-shirt. <laughs> so we're in Portland, Oregon, and I'm there with wife and child. Okay, I was thinking I'm going to be in the big leagues, and now I'm here in triple A. Well, here's a guy by the name of Darren Dalton catching, and the other catcher is a guy by the name of Bill Naharadney. So Bill Nalrodney coming from the White Sox, playing the big leagues. We got nothing but big league players. So I'm looking at him going, where are you going to possibly put me when you got all these big league catchers? So where do I end up? Right field. Never played outfield in my life. Didn't have an outfield glove, nothing. So I said, we just want you to hit. I never played outfield in my life. So I'm out there learning to play outfield. I'm playing in Portland, Oregon, playing right and left field. And things didn't go the way they should have. I was a fish out of water, so to speak. And Lee Ilya comes up. So what happens in the middle of the year? They trade for a guy, comes from St. Louis, his name's Mike Lavalier. So now you got three catchers. So now you got the number one, Dalton. You got the number two, now Rodney. And you got Mike Lavalier. And catchers run with catchers. So we're having a relationship and things are going good. And couldn't have said not a bad thing about any of those guys. It was amazing. My stay in Philadelphia was amazing. One of my good friends is Rick Shue. So Rick was the third baseman and we're getting to know and just loving each other because everybody had got their cup of coffee the year before and everybody knew what it was like to act like a big leaguer. So that team was a big league team. So the year's over, I don't get called up. And I find out that Lee Ilya didn't want me. He wanted me out of there. I mean, I'm a big league catcher. I'm a big league hitter. I, I hit well. And I played every game. I played like 135 games on 142 game schedule. But one day that year, it was a on the schedule, and I talked to nobody because I really didn't know anybody, and it was early in April. The game started at 12 o'clock, or it was a 1 o'clock game. Yeah. Well, I didn't know. The game got transferred or got postponed or something, and the game started at 10 a.m. So I'm shopping in the grocery store with my wife and child, and the game is on the radio. And I'm in Portland going, oh, my God, what's going on? So I right away get my car, I get over there, and it's like the sixth inning. And I was supposed to be the starting catcher to give Dalton a rest that day. Man. So I show up, Lelia's pissed, going nuts. <clears throat> so long story short, he puts me into pinch in, I strike out. He writes me up, he reads me the riot act, and I find out that he says all kinds of bad things about me the next year. So long story short, I show up spring training. I'm with Schmitty, I'm with uh, Matuzak, I'm all these guys in Philly. And before you know it, with the snap of a finger, I'm traded. Then my, uh, what do you call it, career starts with Pittsburgh. 
And uh, I went from uh, Portland, Oregon to the Pittsburgh Pirates to a place called Hawaii. <laughs> so I become seventh heaven in Pittsburgh, me, my wife, and child. We're in Hawaii playing for probably my dearest coach, my dearest manager, my dearest friend, rest in peace. Uh, he just he just passed, Tommy Sant. Yeah. So, so Tommy Sant, I just got off the phone with him, in fact, uh, a year ago. We were in the pandemic. He was going to come fishing and golfing, and we had all our guys. If I told you that team, uh, the big leaguers on that team, you would have cracked up. I mean, my pitching staff was Big Daddy Ruschel, Bob Walk, uh, Sid Mungie, um, Ray Krosick. I had My staff was just the best big league pitching staff at a big league level. Yeah. And I'm the catcher, and I'm catching every game. So these guys, the pitchers and catchers, we're running, we're going. I didn't want to leave Hawaii. That's when I fell in love with Maui and immediately came out and purchased a place out here and basically fell in love with Maui because it was a neighboring island. Everybody stuck around. And then 86 came. And now I'm in the big leagues with the Pirates because two gentlemen, and the, well, really three. The first guy was a guy by the name of Sid Thrift. And Sid Thrift was the general manager. And spring training started, and he saw me, and he told a guy by the name of Jimmy Leland. He says, you only have 23 picks, because at the time it was a 24-man roster. So you can only keep 23 guys. He goes, why? And he goes, because we're keeping that kid right there. His yeah. name's Rambo. So we're keeping Diaz. And, you know, he can do a number of things. He can play outfield, play third. He can play first. He can catch, and I don't care anything. He can hit. So with that all being said, I found out through a vision guy by the name of Dr. Bill Harrison that was doing all of our vision fundamentals and vision performance. He came up to me. We developed a report, developed, ended up becoming my best friend in the world. Uh, he was my mentor. He was my confidant. Became like a family member. And he passed like four years ago. I can't even say that. There's nobody that was more influential in my life than Bill Harrison. So Dr. Bill Harrison, little story about him is, his first client was a guy by the name of George Brett in 1971. So with him and George, um, through Dr. Harrison, I met all these guys. So he and Sid Thrift had a collaboration because they started the Kansas City Royal Complex back in the days when all those guys, Vita Blue and uh, George Brett and White and uh, all of them, the guys who made the Kansas City Royals was because of Sid Thrift and Dr. Bill Harrison. They start up, they pick their manager, Jimmy Leland. Um, Leland and I developed a rapport. He ended up liking me, ended up doing a poster for Rambo for the Kids and Children's Hospital. <clears throat> and uh, he always was very frank with me. And I love Jim Leland. And I loved all the managers and coaches yeah. in the Pittsburgh organization. It couldn't have gone better. And then when it came down to where I got hurt, I ended up with the White Sox getting traded for Gary Reedus. Yeah. And I become the starting first baseman of the White Sox. And uh, it was. Before we go there, I want to tell everybody, if you, if you Google uh, Pittsburgh Pirates, Mike Diaz, Rambo, you can <laughs> see a slimmed down version of a Sylvester Stallone lookalike with baseballs around his neck and maybe a gun in his hands. Yeah, no, I was much bigger than Stallone. <laughs> Move. What's funny about that, Jamie, we asked Stallone to do the poster with us. And uh, we said, we'll even put you on a, uh, you know, a crate so you'll be as tall as Diaz. Because Stallone's like 5'6". 
<laughs> so we did like the making of Thriller. We did the making of Rambo. Yeah. And a guy had a great idea and said, man, you, you do all these things for all these kids. In fact, in 1986, in 81 home dates, I did 80 appearances. So I always went to Children's Hospital and I always went to all these foundations to go and help kids. Obviously, I was a part-time player. Uh, first baseman, he and I went back and forth, was uh, Sid Breen. So I hit against lefties, hit against righties. So I knew when I was going to play and I knew when I wasn't going to play. And when I wasn't going to play, I always pinch hit. In fact, Leland used to say, uh, go get a bat, Diaz. So what are you talking about? He said, just go get a bat, put a helmet on, and walk around the dugout. What are you talking about? He says, after the game, he says, that kept the left-handers in the dugout, I mean, in the bullpen. So uh, now we got Van Slyke, we got Lavalier, we got Bonds, we got all these left-handed hitters. Bream says, they ain't coming in knowing that you're going to come in to hit against them. So he told me I was a weapon. So he kind of coined the phrase of being a, power utility guy because I played first third one of my best friends was Jimmy Moe Jimmy Morrison taught me how to be a big league hitter uh Lee Mazzelli uh Almond and we just had some phenomenal veterans who I can't say enough about the people I had the opportunity to play with to listen with to be with you're the uh, baseball, you're a baseball almanac with these names you played and you make it sound like you were just kind of having cups of coffee in, in Pittsburgh and in, uh, in that three-year period with the Pirates, ladies and gentlemen, uh, Mike Diaz wasn't drinking coffee all the time. He played in <laughs> at least 200 games. Uh, you know, I tell Denier, it, it's so amazing for anybody who makes it up into the major leagues, especially somebody who goes through all the stuff in the minor leagues, but there's always instrumental people, good friends you meet with, but you can't, you know, you can't smile your way through major league baseball and winter ball, all the things that you did, and then go have a great career for four years in Japan, just because, you know, people like you. So yeah, you had that skill, you had those hands. I don't know if Charlie Lau and you crossed paths in Chicago. We did. When I met Leland, uh, my buddy Dave Nelson was with the 83 White Sox coaching staff. LaRusso was the manager, Dave Duncan, uh, yep. Leland, Charlie Lau, um, and, and Nellie, and then other uh, Art. Um, God, he's a bullpen coach, and I'm getting old, and I can't remember Art's, Art's last name. But anyway, you knew all. And then you come back with the White Sox, and, of course, in uh, – in 1988, um, I had been fired by most of your buddies, you know, by uh, Carco and by uh, Diggy and by, um, and I'm, you know, I, they were good guys. I don't, you know, Mike Soper, Al Jones, Rolando Pino, a lot of those guys. Nelson Sanovania was a catcher who stayed loyal to me and represented him for a while until he got his head too big for britches did you have an agent or did you just make it i did uh it was kind of uh it was kind of odd during the minor leagues as you know it's tough because the agents aren't paying anything nobody realized that they're betting on you oh, making yeah. it i realized it yeah so when i first started out an agent i'm going shoot i could go in and negotiate 500 bucks right. <laughs> that's what you're gonna get and then going up to double a i think i got a raise of 100 bucks went to like 600 got to triple a got to like 1200 uh things changed dramatically with the two contracts right i think uh the big league contract that time was like 68 
68,000. Well, it's the minimum. But, uh, you know, yeah, yeah. So long story short. hundred on the minor league deal and the minimum yeah. on the minor league deal. It's going like, uh. I got a guy that he's, he's passed a long time ago. His name was Roy Chenoweth. Worked with the Bank of America. So I was living up in Santa Rosa, California. And uh, beautiful place. Uh, Rob Deere was up there. Yeah. So long story short, I go to this guy and I says, you know what? Uh, this is in 1979. And I tell the guy, I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm going to be a big league player. You either take a chance on me and give me a loan. I need to buy a house. I need to buy furniture and I need to buy a car. So at the time, he says, who are you? I said, well, it's not who I am. It's who you are. You're the president of the bank. I'm going to be a big league player. You're either going to bet on me or not. And if you're not, I'll go to the next bank. But in the end, I'll give you a lot of publicity and I'll go ahead and bring others to you. I mean, that's just he's trying to market it. So he calls me back up a week later. And he says, son, I'm about to retire. I said, all right. Come on in. So I come in. Roy says, I'm going to give you the loan. So he gave me a loan for my first house, my first car, well, second car. I bought a van with my signing bonus. Uh, he gave me enough for furniture, for electronic equipment. And the moral of the story is, is he took a chance on me to say, son, if you don't make it, you're going to go bankrupt anyway. If you make it, you'll be able to pay me back. So back in the day, I mean, when you're making 62, 5, 68, I forget what the contract was, but when I got to major leagues, I thought I was a millionaire. Right. I could pay all my debts back the whole bit, go to Candlestick Park, Roy's there, paid your loan off, and he hailed it to all Bank of America. He retired. It was the greatest scene I've ever had. It was so cool to be able to say I made it financially. Then the game began. I didn't have to worry about finances anymore. I had wife. I had child. I had house. I had a car. American dream, right? Now, I had to start getting real serious about baseball. And now I kept going to Puerto Rico. I'd make more money in Puerto Rico than I ever made in the big leagues because you're there for three months and they pay you. Uh, all that being said, uh, you finally settle into what you're doing. And then Japan came. And uh, when the White Sox, I forget who the GM was, but they offered him an ungodly deal through Bill Madlock. He was in Japan. And he says, these guys really want you. It's a team called Lotte. At the time, they're called Lotte Orions. Today, they're called the Lotte Marines. And uh, Valentine made him a big deal because they won the Japanese World Series and all that. They just so, a pretty famous pitcher, just uh, pitched 17 perfect innings in a row. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Um, his name was Sasaka. I don't know. He yeah. pitched a perfect game. The net eight waits his rotation comes up five days later. He throws another eight innings of perfect innings. I'll tell you what, there, there's some pitchers over there. There really are. There's some great athletes. But Johnny Vandermeer, only perfect. And he was one inning away from that. Wow. So my experience, like I said, I couldn't tell you, Jamie, not one bad year where I had a bad experience. Uh, I learned from everybody. And uh, I look at everybody who I had come in, good or bad, even people like yourself on and off the field. Man, it's just such a great learning experience to go ahead and listen to people's trials, tribulations, experiences, relationships, and resources that life's short, man. And, and baseball, to go ahead and tell everybody, this is what I did, that didn't really do anything for me. But to go ahead and hear what you did and what you can do, and I could go ahead and learn, man, it was, it was yeah. an education. It was way better than any college could ever teach me. Well, 
the next podcast we do, and we're not done yet, but the, I want to hear some bad experiences. I want to, yeah. you know, uh, lemon to lemonade. You're the star, but you, uh, <laughs> you played with Bobby Bonilla. Uh, yeah. Played with my bud, not my buddy, but my former client, Johnny Cangelosi, who is yep. a guy, Candyman. I ran into him. Oh, my God. He was with his his wife. And uh, this was in the near the concession stand at Wrigley three or four years ago. And he go, comes up to me, goes, Jamie, man, I, I tell you, I felt so bad firing you. And I had 15 other agents in the 15 years I played. And I, I said, you know, there are lots of... Like with Kirko, his wife at that time was kind of interested in running his life. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, um, everybody had a Maureen. Everybody had a, a situation. Like I said, Tim Raines comes up, puts his arm around you. Why don't you go and talk to my agent? It's just yeah. like you're referring people to the Bank of America. Yes. And Reinsdorf, who like I said, a little friend comes up to me and he goes, Hey, Jamie, this isn't when they were still in Sarasota. I'm down there in spring training and Jerry Payne park, Payne park, got Kittle broke a window on in batting practice. You know, I've, Nellie was down there. I put my car in the left field for some stupid reason and Kittle yeah. BP ball through my rented car window. I'm going, oh. Ron, that's yeah. the, the ball bounced off. I didn't even get the damn ball, but, Jerry comes up to me and, and uh, I've, I've been blessed to have a lot of different professionals, a lawyer, things go on in my life that helped me stay connected a little bit to baseball. Uh, yeah. We represented the Kansas City Royals in a, in a long trial where Bowie Kuhn, uh, Bud Selig and Lee McPhail were my three uh, expert witnesses. But Jerry comes wow. up to me and says, hey, Jamie, do you play poker? And I go, yeah, I'm not getting in a game with you, Jerry. Why? And he goes, well, when you get a really bad hand, what do you do? And I go, you fold. And he goes, that's what you need to do with your sports representation business. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good one. People don't think Jerry's funny. He's really kind of a funny guy. And yeah, yeah. he knew Roland Heeman and Dabrowski was there and uh, yeah. Steve Novarita and Danny Evans, all these guys, you know, were – hanging out in that era of quality like, guys, quality guys. Yeah. There's not enough to be said about those guys. And now you got these new guys that are 30 years old becoming general managers. I don't get it. I don't either. I don't get it. You know, the, the game of baseball has never changed, but you can't tell me a 30 year old kid who's never put on the uniform can go out and be a general manager of an organization and a player have respect. So that's just like the world that we live in today. You know, <clears throat> If I'm going to fight and I'm going to be in Vietnam, you damn well better have, you know, a chief who's been there, done that. Sure. <clears throat> I just can't get excited about someone who's going to tell me, uh, and, and I'm not, I'm not going to get political on you, but if I have a president who's never been alongside me and you're going to tell me, go kill on my behalf, it ain't happening. Yeah. So baseball is the same way. I have a real hard time having somebody tell me, how to play polo and has never been on a horse. Well, that's Moneyball. You know, the movie Moneyball talking about, look, you know, we need to get guys that walk and they're on baseball. Yeah. And now, God, it drives me crazy. And, and I don't know how much you waste time listening to baseball broadcasts, but this, you know, batting average doesn't mean anything. 
RBIs are meaningless. <laughs> how, how do you think you win a game if you don't look at RBI yeah. batting average? So, so have you ever had Goose Gossage on? Well, I've never. No. I, now, I love Goose. Oh, my God. But uh, uh, no. Uh, oh, we played together in Japan. He was playing for uh, the Dai Hawks, Fukuoka Dai Hawks. And he was pitching. So he was their lone, uh, what we call Gaijin, their foreigner. And uh, the Gaijin used to hang out. He was with Tony Bernazard, and he was with Willie Upshaw. And uh, after every game, there's a two Gaijin per team. And I'm hanging out with Goose, listening to Goose about his cattle farm and all the things that he has going on in Colorado and what he did through his career. What a fascinating career. Most of all, one of the most fascinating conversations I've ever been part of. I don't even know if it was a conversation because he did all the talking. Yeah, you're with Goose Gossage. I want to get and Goose listening. and you on the same podcast because when I, when I was in the Marine Corps, my buddy went to college at Adams State with Goose. And oh. so he had Gossage stories. And, of course, um, you know, I was a huge White Sox fan back when uh, Gossage was, you know, dealing for the White Sox way back then. Yeah. He always had some pretty extreme opinions you you don't he don't hold anything back he's yeah. so right on with manfred he's so right on with i love yeah. the whole thing though i mean i might differ when you talk about cooperstown a little bit um, yeah probably but, not you, well, you seem like you're cut from the same cloth <laughs> well speaking of cooperstown uh when you were with the pirates bonds was like a year or two into his career Bonilla was probably in $50,000 into his billion-dollar contract. He's, I know. I mean, isn't I know. that cool? He's getting deferred money still. God love him. I mean, uh, a manager jokes with me, said there's a Hall of Famer that I tried forever to get him to defer his money, and he wouldn't huh. do it, and uh, he lost all his money. And now he's, about, wow. he's doing uh, – commercials for how to perform better in bed. I mean, wow. <laughs> I good luck with that. Good guy. Anyway, um, Bonds, good guy, jerk. So uh, I had a relationship with uh, Barry used to go and babysit my first child. She's 39 years old. And at the time, my wife really took a liking to Barry when he came up. He came up in 86. And I think Barry's what? I'm 62, so he's probably about 58, probably, probably four years. Yeah. And long story short, he came up and he came up with all the hoopla. I knew his dad. I knew Bobby. And I used to play golf with Bobby, with him and Charlie Fox. Everybody loved Bobby. Yeah, so Bobby used to play golf at a place in Half Moon Bay with Charlie Fox and myself. Wow. So we played on Wednesdays all the time. And I knew about Barry when he was in the minor leagues. So I was already in the majors. And hey, long man. story short, he, he shows up. I want a tour of Half Moon Bay with you. My, yeah. what a great so, place. Yeah, so I lived there, God, for five years or so on the golf course before oh. the Ritz-Carlton came out. Oh. And I'm from a little town called Pacifica where Barry knows very well because he was at a school called Sarah High School in the Bay Area. So Sarah High School is in the uh, West Catholic Athletic League, the WCAL with Bellarmine, SI, uh, Reardon, Mitty, all the tough schools there, same thing. Jeffries came from and a, a small quarterback by the name of Tom Brady came from. <laughs> that's all that's all the Bay Area stuff. But Half Moon Bay was kind of the premier golf course to play because it just started 
It's golf links the whole bit. So the story started with Barry, where we became that relationship. Said, "Hey, I kind of know your dad real well." The whole bit. Barry came in with such all the hoopla and everything going on. It was tough to go ahead and become, per se, a, a best friend. His best friend became two guys. One was Bobby Bonilla, and the other was R.J. Reynolds. Well, R.J. Reynolds and Bobby Bonilla were great friends of mine. So that's how that kind of happened. Yeah. Uh, I wouldn't say we're best of friends. We're more acquaintances than anything. He became Barry Bonds, and I'm just little old Mike Rambo Diaz. Uh, does he know me? He does. He knows me well. He'd bet third, I'd bet fourth. He'd be in center field, I'd be in right field. Uh, when Van Slyke came, he took over center. He went to left, I went to right. Um, like I said, we had uh, several years together. And uh, my opinion of him is I think that he was probably more focused than anybody who ever played the game. He felt that everybody was against him. It's just an opinion. No, no, no. Who cares, who cares about my opinion? But no. I saw a guy that wanted – yeah, I saw a guy who wanted to live in his world, and if he entered you, uh, let you enter in his world, it would mess him up. So he had his own way of doing things. I mean, you had guys like Boggs who ate chicken all the time. He'd throw him a steak and he'd freak out. But the point is, is he was so structured in the way he did. He was so aloof with the, the press, with his teammates, with everybody from a young age. Um, yeah. It was tough to enter that, but I will tell you this, take all the stuff off of the side, the Pete Roses, the Barry Bonds, the Roger Clemens. You can't deny what that man did on the field. So, well, I mean, I look at somebody like that and I said, that's probably the greatest hitter I've ever seen from video to playing with, to hitting alongside with, to hitting batting practice with, to knowing him. Who cares whether I like him or not? Right. Who cares whether he likes me or not? That man could flat out hit uh i didn't think he could throw but he could hit <laughs> that era uh griffey jr gwen bonds hard to pick anybody better um i can't think of anybody that i throw brett but that was a little bit earlier i mean yeah worked his butt off to become who he did who he was yeah those are good names those uh, are great names i played against all of them you know, was I'm assuming that Pete Rose was part of the Philadelphia Phillies when when you showed up? Was he? No, he had got traded at that point. I think he went to Montreal. Okay, um, and then he started uh, managing in '86. He was the manager with a good friend of mine, Paul O'Neill. He was the manager of the Reds. So when I came up in '83, I'm thinking he was with Montreal, or he might have been with the Phillies still. I don't know. So Denier was batted. Um, leadoff for the Phillies his last year and Rose was the second hitter and so you know Rose didn't know his name according to Denier <laughs> and I'm sure this was you know a little bit of uh, Denier being Denier but he said Pete just called him Speed because he didn't know he didn't know his name and he's going like oh the, they're two-thirds of the way through the season and they're playing Cincinnati and Bench is playing third base instead of catching knees are bad, da-da-da-da-da. And uh, the game's about to start. Rose is in the on-deck circle, and he says, Speed, come here. I want to talk to you a minute. What are you going to do? Are you going to What are you going to swing away, try to hit the right field? Well, I don't know, Pete. I'm going to do what I always He says, bunt. Bunt on bench. He, can't, he won't be able to field the ball. <laughs> and he, okay. No. Okay, that's smart. Here to Pete Rose. But, uh, man. Those are those are just great names. And yeah. we'll visit. God, there's so many 
uh, you know, the Cangelosi stories and the, uh, you know, you get drafted. We, we don't have enough time for Cangelosi stories. The stuff. Yeah, know? yeah. It's pretty cool. And now tell me a little bit about how in the world, I got two questions, one about Hitter's Paradise and two, how you teamed up with renewed bodies renewed or renewed bodies. Maybe yeah, yeah, yeah. Be more so, in that part of it. Uh, again, my first experience out here in Hawaii, specifically Maui, was 1984. And uh, that's when I was playing for the Hawaii Islanders in AAA for the Pirates. And I just fell in love with the place. So I decided to come out here. I got a granddaughter who's six years old. Um, came out here about seven, eight years ago full time. Been coming off and on on vacations and stays. And anyway, they were all sojourn short stays until I finally said, nope, enough's enough. I think I was 50 years old. And I says, uh, I'm going to go ahead and make that move. There was nothing in the mainland left to do. And uh, a gentleman by the name of Paul Scarbo had a facility called Hitter's Paradise. It was the only one in all of Maui. So I went and visited it. And I talked to the guy and never played baseball in his life. Just loved the game. He's from Seattle. Knew all about Edgar Martinez. Loved Edgar. And Edgar and I go back. If you would ever get Edgar on a podcast, he would laugh about me and Carmelo being in Dorado Beach, hitting when he was a 16-year-old kid. Uh, I mean, we go way back. So long story short, I said to the guy, would it help you if I came in here and did some things and maybe just go and bum around the cage and give lessons? He said, man, that would be incredible. He says, but I'm really trying to get out and I want to move out. Got this wife. We're going to move back to Boston. We're going to do this and that. And I says, so what you're telling me is you're trying to sell this place. He says, yeah. I said, well, I consider it. And that's where the the deal was born. He ended up leaving. I ended up buying the place outright. Outdoor facility. Had uh, five uh, iron mics. Had three or four softballs combined with the iron mics. Had one outdoor cage. Sat on about, I don't know, somewhere about a half acre parking lot, only one in all of Maui County. Wow. Uh, so as I started getting to meet the local people, I met my kind of, I guess, my confidant, my peer, my business partner. At the time, she was probably in her early 30s. And her name's Shannon Sheldon. And her son was six years old, named Kea Sheldon. In fact, his birthday's coming up tomorrow. Uh, he's going to be 13 years old. So it's been about seven years with him. And uh, he had out all these other people talking to him about how to play the game of baseball. Maui is unique because people come over, they stay for a week and then leave. So they hit and run. They come in, take all the locals money and then leave. So I'm thinking to my mind, I'm saying, wait, why don't I go ahead and charge enough to get by? Because I'm going to be part of this culture, part of this community, and just basically make enough to go ahead and make my ends meet this place because I got a major league pension. I'm going to go ahead and get my social security and, I make enough to go and be fine. I got, I'm fine. I don't need much. Uh, I've lived the life of Riley as far as I'm concerned. Uh, I've been married 40 plus years. Beautiful wife, four kids, grandchildren. I got no worries. And I'm not stressing the way I did when I was a kid. So that all being said, I fell in love with this kid. I fell in love with the mom in regards to her being a partner. And before you know it, I've got over 200 clients. So these people are coming in hitting, they're doing their deals and pandemic comes and I can't deal with the public. So I started an indoor facility with membership. So now I got an 11,000 square foot hitters paradise. Wow. All, uh, I got eight cages. I've got uh, pro batter simulators. I got hit tracks. I basically turned it into a major league facility that uh, these kids would only dream of. 
And it was something that the membership paid for instead of me paying for it. I don't have that kind of money. I mean, we're into this thing, hundreds of thousands of dollars, but it's all paid a little here, a little there. If I told you you could be a member when you were a kid, even back in the 60s, for $8.33 a day, you'd go, wow, that's a cup of a cup of coffee nowadays at Starbucks. So, yeah, we keep it down. Uh, the locals, uh, it's a local, semi-private. We let people from uh, off-island come in. They pay a premium because they're not local. It's like everything else. We have this thing called Kamaina Discount. If you're a local, you go ahead and get the Kamaina Discount. It's like living in Chicago. Yeah. <laughs> you get the resident discount. I if you go to Rush Street and they know you. Cabo San Lucas has that same same gear. There you go. Yeah, I can remember being to go and regress a little bit in, in Chicago playing for the Cubs and the White Sox. And I'm on rush. And if they know you, man, you ain't going to buy a drink. You yeah. ain't going to buy a meal. Uh, I mean, shoot, I probably got my own stool over at Mother's, you know. <laughs> so the, yeah. these things over there, it's. Uh, Mitch McGuire's Mother's. Oh, all the time. I mean, the P.S. Chicago's. I mean, go on down the line. Okay. But point is, is. We were so fortunate in the game of baseball, what I feel, that me talking story, that's what they call it here on my, we talk story and we try to go out and live through others' experiences. Kids don't know who I am, but they look on the internet and say, wow, Coach Mike, what happened? They go, I don't know. I put on 100 pounds. What the, what the heck? The, the, yeah, information, yeah. Didn't, yeah, the information didn't change. So they kind of crack up and uh, the parents have embraced me and uh, we call it an ohana, a family. Uh, it's kind of like Puerto Rico. They have their Ohana. Japan, all Japanese, they have their Ohana. So to get into an Ohana of ethnicity backgrounds like that, it's really tough. Yeah. So I basically kept my mouth shut, laid low, uh, hung out with my granddaughter, went to the beach, and all of a sudden people are coming out of the woodwork from all five and said, could you do this for me? Can you do that for me? And then I said, okay, I'll go back in the business of teaching baseball. Uh, not only teaching baseball, but teaching softball. But I teach it from a different perspective in regards to uh, technique. I talk about vision. And uh, from my mentor, Dr. Bill Harrison, everybody talks about mechanics, about launch angles, about all these, you know, saber metrics and all this crap. And I said, well, you can't deny there's only three things in baseball or in each sport. It's vision, it's mind, and it's body. But everybody teaches about the mind and the body. Well, who talks about vision? It's, that's the most important thing. All information comes to our eyes, goes to our mind, and goes to our body. You guys have it backwards. You're reversing the engineering this, where you always talk mechanics. But you have to see the ball first before you can even have mechanics. Anyway, I've kind of adopted that. People come from all over the world, from Japan, Korea, Australia, Mexico. I have clients that, who doesn't want to come to Maui? I mean, Jamie, if you were a hitter and you were playing in the big leagues, college, high school, or travel ball, and mom and dad came up to you and said, do you like to go to Florida or would you like to go to Maui? And in Maui, by the way, you're going to train on the beach. You got a private field where you're going to do all your defensive work. And then you got an indoor facility with every analytic that you can think of all brand new turf, all air conditioned, and we can give you every metric you want. And then we got nothing but professionals that come in if you want and use them. And then we got a full blown uh, performance training center for people to train. It's kind of a one-stop shop. And then when you get tired, shoot, we have a chiropractic. We got a masseuse. We got uh, what you just brought up, Body Renewed Hawaii, which is basically pulsed electromagnetic field therapy. So it's PEMF, if people look that up. And they go, what the hell's PEMF? Well, I didn't know what it was either. 
but it's a machine that prepares the cells, which damaged cells create what? Inflammation, pain, um, knee problems, elbow problems, any joint problems. So we discovered this about three years ago, and it's all over the big leagues. Everybody's using it. So we adopted it. We put it into play. Uh, on the mainland, it's about 220 bucks treatment. We give it to the kids for 20 bucks. Um, the bottom line is, is there's stuff out there that we're totally open to, as I am to sabermetrics, as I am to everything. But it's not the one thing that's the mean to the end. I'm all for a color TV. If I was still back here in our day, I'd still be looking at a black and white TV with a transistor radio. You know, sooner or later, you adopt things that are good for everybody. When but it's not the means to the end. It's part of it. When you talk so, vision, the vision I get is Ted Williams, the guy that just probably is the poster child for eyes. There you go. Suggesting what the baseball is doing before it comes in contact with his bat. And yep. In like a Tony Gwynn and like a George Brett and probably like a Ty Cobb and these other guys that are, you know, yep. great hitters. It is the mind and the body. I mean, you need it all. And, and Absolutely. So one of Tony Gwynn's best friend was my roommate, Joe Carter. And Joe right. Carter talked about vision all the time too. But again, the godfather of vision is by none, by far, Dr. Bill Harrison. So when Dr. Bill Harrison came out with this in 71, uh, a lot of the guys who he had, you wouldn't believe the clients he had. I won't even bring them up, but they were all Hall of Famers, all of them. Hey, and pitchers, hitters, everybody. Wasn't the one the guy named Joe Carter a rookie with the Cubs when you were uh, up there with the Came Cubs? Remember we double A. Yeah. A starting catcher in double A. And here comes a guy out of Wichita State, number two pick in the nation, I think. Number one was Tony Gwynn. And uh, we're playing in double A. I'm playing against Tony Gwynn. He's in Amarillo. Me and Joe Carter roommates were in. Uh, Midland, Texas, and uh, what a wonderful man. But yeah. here I am. I was probably the number one heathen. You know, I got a mohawk. <laughs> I'm crazy. I'm the catcher. <laughs> I'd already been in the minor leagues like three, four years. And here comes this big, tall, black guy. He's a preacher. He's a Baptist preacher. And this guy can hit like none other. And we're roommates. And uh, I was married. He had just got married to his wife. And uh, we became the best of friends and uh, comes up 84. What happens? He goes to Cleveland. I go to Philly. Mel Hall gets traded. Scotty Fletcher gets traded. All the people we had in the minor leagues of the Cubs. Cotto gets traded. Everybody left. Man. Uh, 84 was a clean house when Dallas came in. He cleaned house on everybody. Yeah. You, the names. I mean, we could go on forever and we're going to do this again. If, if you had a good time, because I've enjoyed it. Scotty Fletcher it was just... Gooder. What a great guy. Nelly and yes. I, Fletcher, there was a there was a place in, in uh, off of Rush Street where you could eat upstairs back then. I can't remember the name of the restaurant. And um, we had Scotty there, and um, we were saying, you know, look, I don't know what you pay the whatever the brothers were that he had. The Kahuli brothers were his agents. Okay. And, uh, Gilly, yeah, I remember them. Yeah. Scotty was loyal as a, as a day is long, and to his credit, he wouldn't he wouldn't hire me. But what a good guy and his wife, I think I can't remember Angie maybe. But those are the days. We got a lot of uh, and Joe Carter. I I've lived in Kansas City for the last forty years. No and way. 
Joe can flat out hit a golf ball. I mean, yeah. You can, hey, you tell him anytime he wants a game. If you talk to him again, because I've lost his number, I probably should hook up because he could come to Maui and play all day long. We've got like a thousand golf courses out here. Long story short, we always played golf, me, him, and Carmelo Martinez. But he'd always talk about how good he is at golf. And uh, I'd love to take him down again. <laughs> I play golf three times a week. What an amazing journey you've had, my friend. I mean, truly amazing. And thank you. Thank you. You're still living it. You're still living the dream. Um, I ooze with envy at your upbeat, fantastic optimism in, in every phase, including five years in the minor leagues with the Cubs and then again with the Phillies. So let's do this again. Uh, Absolutely. With, uh, Ranger Seguin is one of your students, and his dad, I know, is. Uh, Excited Mike's the best to uh, to do yeah. this podcast together. So we yeah. will uh, we will get together again. If not uh, in Maui, we'll do it over the podcast. But thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. But I'm going to give you an open invite. You don't need to go ahead and ask. I'm inviting you to come out to Maui. You spend the time with me. We play golf. We talk story. We have a couple beverages and. Uh, I bet, I bet we'll probably spend about four or five days and not shut up. <laughs> I bet that's right. Even if we went over to Kapaloo or whatever the wherever the hoity-toities play. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, Mike. All right, Jane. Yeah, I'm I'm go ahead. I, I appreciate everything, and uh, I look forward to the next time we get on. Me too. Hold on. So there you have it. The lighter side of baseball with one of the more entertaining guys you're going to ever hear on this show. I cannot wait to do it again with Mike Diaz. Oh my God, I did not know the guy. I <laughs> we have a lot of people in common that we know him. He knows them better. Uh, every road, every avenue we turn down, uh, we both like to talk about. But what a great guy. What a great time I had. This was just a hoot. And uh, I can't wait to get back with Dernier and tell him I had a podcast with the guy that uh, he got traded for. But, man, I hope you guys enjoyed it because more is coming with Mike Diaz. And, uh, wow, he has, like, a Hall of Fame list of friends. And uh, pretty cool. Pretty cool. So, anyway for the lighter side of baseball. And I, I may have to try to get him to bring Goose Gossage on the show or anybody. That'd <laughs> be great. So there you go. I'm excited. You can tell that was a fun day. And uh, until the next podcast, this is uh, Jamie Retzke on the lighter side of baseball, uh, wishing you a great day and an upbeat attitude like our guest, Mike Diaz. Oh, my what a guy. So take it from me. Uh, be more like Mike Diaz and, and uh, life will be certainly more rewarding. So for the lighter side of baseball, I'm out for the day. Thanks for listening. Have a great day.